Do you want to like order bagels after this? <gasps> yeah. Okay, great. Well, we'll do this and then we'll order bagels yes. and coffee. Yes. Yes. Hello and welcome to Infinite Cast. Where are we recording? Yeah, we're already. Oh here. my god. Yeah, bagels. What do you want on your bagel? Um, you know, I actually think like a bacon egg and cheese might be too a little too like gooey for me. So I, I was in my head. I'm picturing. What do you think about bacon? A smear of like a flavored cream cheese, and then tomato and cucumber. Ooh, I do love cream cheese with tomato and cucumber. Yeah, that that combination fucks. Although depending on the order people put it on, sometimes the cucumber and tomato slide around things, each yeah. other. I know. You got to find a bagel place that um uh really cares about construction. Some of them don't care. <laughs> some of them don't care. I might get. A straight up like turkey sandwich on a bagel. That sounds good too. Turkey, salami, ched, uh, lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise, spicy brown mustard. Can you order spicy brown at Bagels by the Park? I think so. Do you know uh, Smith you Street Bagels? Away, you shouldn't give away our location based off our well, that, that gives us bagel place. That gives us a radius, but um, but I don't I don't think it would be uh, extremely easy to find. Uh, also. Did you know Smith Street Bagels closed for health violations? No, really? Yeah. Oh God. I know, but that's that's good because we don't go there. Yeah. Wait, that, that's also, one a little fur- that's one a little further a little up, further like away. The Bergen stop. Saved Saved by the Bell. Damn, I've gotten bagels there many times. Well, maybe it's a more recent problem. I'm also <laughs> I'm also of the opinion that eating at places with them um, like a B rating or uh, that are a little dodgy is good for the stomach. It yeah, keeps your fine. stomach. Uh, um, ready and uh, waiting for whatever comes your way. Look, picky eaters in general, like health uh, safety people in general, I think are very much more prone to get sick. Yeah, you gotta, uh, as my mom said, and I'm not sure where she got this from, you swallow a pack of dirt in your life. A pack? I don't know why she said Define pack. a pack. I don't know. That's I asked her once and she was like, I don't, I don't know. You just heard it from you know someone. what she told you know what she told me that what? when I after a soccer game I dropped my Gatorade on the ground mm-hmm. and it got all like all the dirt got on the like yeah. mouthpiece and I was like oh man and she's like just wipe it off swallow a pack of dirt in your life uh reasonable uh pack that's not a real amount of anything let me fact check I think it's pack of I think it's pack of dirt a I'm gonna have to dirt. ask yeah uh like a backpack full of dirt. I don't. I don't know. Like a baggy full. Yeah, of dirt? like a ba- a backpack full of dirt. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, speaking of Gatorade, before we get started, I just have to say that I'm still thinking about that that tweet you relayed to me. That mm-hmm. uh, that is, Gatorade has big Coke energy, even though it's a Pepsi product, and Powerade has big Pepsi energy, even though it's a Coke product. Yeah, it's true. It's true. They're they're reversed. Yeah. I uh, like that that person tweeted it and then was like, "Oh wow, this resonated." Uh, go outside, look at a star, and blow it a kiss. <laughs> That's yeah. That's like your your follow up to your final tweets of recommending side projects of uh, '90s indie guys. I'm do I'm doing it for the. It could be side projects of anything. It just ends up being '90s indie guys because when I take requests, that's the that's kind the of guy who wants that kind of band. <laughs> what do you think David Foster Wallace's favorite sandwich was? Sandwich. Yeah. He liked junk food. That was a thing in the end of the tour. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if he fucks with like a I don't know like an Italian combo with just like like loaded with shit. Or if he just would answer that question straight up, Big Mac. Consider the sandwich. Consider the sandwich. I, I, I will and I do. I'll t- if I can remember it, I'll tell a story about something called Consider the Sandwich at the tail end of this recording. But all we right, should get into let's it. Let's get into it. We've been blabbing for forever. Yeah, it's only been three minutes. Okay, this is that's fine. fine. We're allowed to do three minutes of preamble. Okay, well, welcome. Uh, let's get into it. We're back in Lens, lens territory. We're I'm still in Lens territory. I'm just going territory. to get more water. Okay.
Uh, by the time they hit the spur, their northwest tacking has wheeled broadly right to become more truly north. Their route down here is a Mondrian of alleys narrowed to near de- defiles, defiles from all the dumpsters. Lens goes first, blaze trailing. <laughs> Lens gives these sort of smoky looks to every female that passes within eyeshot. Their vector is now mostly north slash northwest. They stroll through the rich smell of dryer exhaust from the backside of a laundromat off Dustin and Calm, the city of Metro Boston, Massachusetts at night, the ding and trundle of the B and C greenie trains heading up Calm Ave's hill west, street drunks sitting with their backs to sooted walls seeming to study their laps, even the mist of their breath, breath discolored, the complex hiss of bus brakes, the jagged shadows distending with headlights passage, Latin music drifting through the Spurs projects, twined around some 5-4 shine stuff from a boombox over off Feeney Park. And in between these, a haunting plasm of Hawaiian-type music that sounds at once top volume and far, far away. (laughs) The zithery, drifting Polynesian strains make Bruce Green's face spread in a flat mask of psychic pain he doesn't even feel is there. And then the music's gone. Lenz asks Green what it's like to work with ice all day at Leisure Time Ice. (laughs) And then himself theorizes on what it must be like, he'll bet, with your crushed ice and ice cubes and pale blue plastic bags with a staple for a twisty and dry ice and wood tubs pouring out white smoke. And then your huge blocks of industrial ice packed in fragrant sawdust, the huge blocks of man-sized ice with flaws way inside like trapped white faces, white flames of internal cracks, your picks and hatchets and really big tongs, Red knuckles and rhymed windows and thin, bitter freezer smell with runny-nosed poles and plaid coats and call packs. Your older ones with the chronic cant to one side from all the time, lugging ice. They crunch through iridescent chunks of what Lens IDs as a busted windshield. Lens shares feelings on how between three ex-husbands and feral attorneys and a pastry chef that used pastry dependence to warp and twist her into distorting a testament toward the chef, and lenses being through red tape still in Quincy's YCA hold, and in a weak litigational vantage, the ruptured Mrs. L's will had left him out in the cold to self-fend by his urban wits while ex-husbands and patissiers lay on Riviera beach furniture fanning themselves with high-denomination currency, about which Lenz says he grapples with the issues of on a, like, daily basis, leaving Green a gap to make understanding sounds. Mm-hmm. Green's jacket creaks as he breathes. <laughs> the windshield, he's, he's got a, like a cheap leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. Creaks. <laughs> the windshield glass. Do you is, believe this thing about his mom and the settlement and uh, like the windfall and the will and stuff? I mean, Lens is an exaggerator, um, but I, I believe the, the general. Uh, the gist of it? The, I think the thing I don't believe is that he says that he was in like a minimum security youth prison for a screenplay idea. I think he was there because he was being punished. Yes. You know, yes. Like that's where he lies. Like he lies to make himself Self, look good. Yeah. He doesn't lie to make others but also look good. Li- so bad. yeah, you know what? I, I would believe it be, if it makes him if makes himself out to be a victim. But I'm also sure perhaps there was a reason that he was cut out of his mom's will more than his uh, application of, uh, you know, um, self-centered uh, uh gluttony of his of his mom yeah sure um i, I don't know just like the, these you know I, I guess we've only really been introduced to lens in the last like whatever like 60 80 pages mm, whatever yeah. you know it's just a very good job of of writing a character where you like can't you know as the more he talks the less you can believe anything that he says yes you know? exactly he's an unreliable narrator yeah exactly 
uh, on cooking. <laughs> the windshield glass is in an alley whose fire escapes are hung with what look like wet, frozen tarps. The alley's tight-packed dumpsters and knobless steel doors and the dull black of total grime. The blunt <laughs> snout of a bus protrudes into the frame of the alley's end, idling. Dumpster's garbage doesn't have just one smell, depending. The urban loom makes the urban night only semi-dark, as in licorice a luminescence just under the skin of dark, of the dark and swelling. Green keeps them updated re-time. Lens has begun to refer to Green as brother. Lens says he has to piss like a racehorse. He says the nice thing about the urban city is that it's one big commode. <laughs> the way Lens pronounces brother involves one R. Green uh, moves up to stand in the mouth of the alley facing out, giving Lens a little privacy several dumpsters behind. Green stands there in the start of the alley's shadow in the bus's warm backwash, his elbows out and hands in the jacket's little pockets looking out. It's unclear whether Green knows Lens is under the influence of Bing. All he feels is a moment of deep wrenching loss, of wishing getting high was still pleasurable for him so he could get high. This feeling comes and goes all day, every day, still. Green takes a gasper before behind his ear and lights it and puts a fresh one on deck behind the ear. <laughs> Union Square, Alston. Kiss me where she, it smells, she said, so I took her to Alston, unquote. <laughs> Union Square's lights, I know, Union Square's lights throb. Whenever somebody stops blowing their horn, somebody else starts blowing their horn. There's three Chinese women waiting at the light across the street from the guy with the lobsters. Each of them's got a shopping bag. An old VW bug like Dooney Glynn's VW bug idling muffler lists outside Riley's roast beef. Except Dooney's bug's engine is exposed where the back hood got removed to expose the bug's guts. It's like impossible to ever spot a Chinese woman on a Boston street that's under 60 or over 1.5 meters or not carrying a shopping bag, except never more than one bag. If you close your eyes on a busy urban sidewalk, the sound of everybody's different footwear's footsteps all put together sounds like something getting chewed by something huge and tireless and patient. The searing facts of the case of Bruce Green's natural parents' deaths when he was a toddler are so deeply repressed inside Green that whole strata and substrata of silence and mute, dumb animal suffering will have to be strip-mined up and dealt with a day at a time in sobriety for Green to even remember how, on his fifth Xmas Eve in Waltham, Massachusetts, his pop had taken the hydrant-sized little Brucey Green aside and given him... Hydrant-sized? I know. And given him, to give his beloved mama for Xmas, a gaily Gauguin-colored can of Polynesian Mauna Loa brand, which takes us to EndNote 240, the Mauna Loa Macadamia Nut Corp Hilo Hawaii, a low-sodium food. <laughs> I fuck with macadamia nuts heavy, but I can mm. only eat like four of them. Oh, well, they're good. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're big, so meaty They're so rich nuts. and dense yeah. and expensive. Back to the text. Mauna Loa brand macadamia nuts. That's why he was grimacing at the Hawaiian music. Yeah. Said cylindrical can of nuts, then toted upstairs by the child and painstakingly wrapped in so much foil sheen paper that the final wrapped present looked like an oversized dachshund that had required first bludgeoning and then restraint at both ends with two rolls each of scotch tape and garish fuchsia ribbon to be subdued and wrapped and placed under the gaily lit pine. And even then the package seemed mushily to struggle as the substrata of paper shifted and settled. Bruce Green's pop, Mr. Green, had been at one time one of New England's most influential aerobics instructors, even co-starring once or twice in the decade before digital dissemination on the widely rented Buns of Steel aerobics home video series, and had been in high demand and very influential until, 
to his horror, in his late 20s, the absolute prime of an aerobic instructor's working life, either one of Mr. Green's legs began spontaneously to grow or the other leg began spontaneously to retract because within weeks, one leg was all of a sudden nearly six inches longer than the other. Bruce Green's one unrepressed visual memory of the man is of a man who progressively and perilously leaned as he hobbled from specialist to specialist. And he had to get outfitted with a specialized orthopedic boot, black as a cauldron, that seemed to be 90% sole and resembled an asphalt spreader's clunky boot. These are like the Kanye boots. Yeah, yeah. And weighed, <laughs> weighed several pounds and looked absurd with spandex leggings. And the long and short of it, oh, sorry, <laughs> was that Brucey Green's pop was aerobically washed up by the leg and boot and had to career change and went bitterly to work for a Waltham novelty or notions concern, something with n in the name, Acme Novelties and Notions or some such. Haven't we heard of that company before? Yeah. They do like car- cards we've read them talking about, right? Yeah, um, which then got bought by like another company. I'll have to refresh my memory There's on like this. There's like a weirdly long footnote about it and I'm like, where I'm like, oh, God, I've got, I've got to pay attention to this. <laughs> like it was like Acme's like, uh, like uh, pranks, prizes, and wacky disguises or something. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where Mr. Green designed some uh, sort of sadistic practical joke supplies, specializing in the Jolly Jolt hand buzzer and Blamo cigar product lines. Okay, a Blamo cigar exploded, which caused a lawsuit that caused Acme to be like scooped up by like someone else's company. Uh-huh. Sorry, everyone who's listening. If you if you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, DM me. Uh, with a sideline in entomological entomological ice cubes and artificial dandruff, etc demoralizing, sedentary, character-twisting work is what an older child would have been able to understand, peering from his nightlit doorway at an unshaven man who clunkily paced away the wee hours on a nightly basis down in the living room, his gait like a bosun's in heavy seas, occasionally breaking into a tiny tentative gluteal thruster squat and kick, almost falling, muttering bitterly, carrying a Falstaff tall boy. Something touching about a gift that a toddler is so awfully overwrapped makes a sickly pale and neurasthenic but doting Mrs. Green, Bruce's beloved mama, choose the mugged, <laughs> mugged dachshund foil sheen cylinder present first, of course, to open on Xmas morning as they sit before the crackling fireplace in different chairs by different windows with views of Waltham sleet, with bowls of Xmas snacks and Acme and logoed mugs of cocoa and hazelnut decaf and watch each other taking turns opening gifts. Brucey's little face aglow in the firelight as the unwrapping of the nuts proceeds through layer and stratum, Mrs. Green a couple times having to use her teeth on the rinds of tape. (laughs) Finally, the last layer is off, and the gay-colored can in view. Mauna Loa, Mrs. Green's favorite and most decadent special treat food. World's highest calorie food, except for, like, pure suet. Nuts so yummy they should be spelled S-I-N, she says. Brucey excitedly bobbing in his chair spilling cocoa and gummy bears, a loving toddler, more excited about his gift's receipt than what he's going to get himself. His mother's clasped hands before her sunken bosom, sighs of delight and protest, and an easy open can, uh, or an easy open lid on the can. (laughs) Which, the contents of the macadamia-labeled can, is really a coiled cloth snake with an ejaculatory spring. The snake sprongs out as Mrs. G screams, a hand to her throat, Mr. Green howls with bitterly professional practical gag mirth and clunks over and slaps little Bruce on the back so hard that Brucey expels a lime gummy bear he'd been eating. This too a visual memory, contextless and creepy, 
which arcs across the living room and lands in the fireplace's fire with a little green of flame. The cloth snake's arc has terminated at the imitation crystal chandelier overhead, where the snake gets caught and hangs with quivering spring as the chandelier swings and tinkles, and Mr. Green's thigh-slapping laughter takes a while to run down, even as Brucie's mama's hand at her delicate throat becomes claw-shaped, and she claws at her throat and gurgles and slumps over to starboard with a fatal cardiac, her cyanotic mouth still open in surprise. For the first couple minutes, Mr. Green thinks she's putting them on, and he keeps rating her performance on an Acme interdepartmental 1-8 to gag scale (laughs) until he finally gets pissed off and starts saying she's drawing the gag out too long, that she's going to scare their little Brucie, who's sitting there under the swinging crystal, wide-eyed and silent. And Bruce Green uttered not another out loud word until his last year of grade school, <laughs> living then, living by then in Winchester with his late mother's sister, a decent but dust bowly looking Seventh Day Adventist who never once pressed Brucey to speak, probably out of sympathy, probably sympathizing with the searing pain the opaque eyed child must have felt over not only giving his mama a lethal Xmas present, but then over, uh, over then having to watch his widowed asymmetrical pop. Uh, cave psycho spiritually in after the wake. Cave psycho spiritually in after the wake. Watching Mr. Green pace and clunk around the living room all night, every night after work, and an under microwaved supper for two in his Frankensteinian boot, <laughs> clunking around in circles, scratching slowly at his face and arms until he looked less scourged than brambled, and in loosely associated <laughs> mutters, cursing God and himself and Acme nuts and serpents or whatever. <laughs> And leaving the fatal snake up hanging from the fake crystal fixture and the fake Christmas tree up in its little red metal stand until all the strings of lights went out and the strings of popcorn got dark and hard and the stand's bowl of water evaporated so the tree's needles died and fell brownly off onto the rest of the still unopened Xmas presents clustered below, one of which was a package of Nebraska corn-fed steaks whose cherub motif wrapping was beginning ominously to swell Mm. and then finally the even more searing childhood pain of the public arrest and media scandal and sanity hearing and midwest trial as it was established after the fact that the post xmas mr green whose one encouraging sign of holding some tattered remnants of himself together after the funeral had been the fact that he still went faithfully every day to work at acme inc had gone in and packed a totally random case of the company's outgoing blamo cigars with vengefully lethal tetral-based high explosives. Okay, so this is where it comes back. And a VFW, three Rotarians, and 24 Shriners had been grotesquely decapitated across southeastern (laughs) Ohio before the federal ATF traced the grisly forensic fragments back to B. Green Sr.'s Blamo Lab in Waltham. And then the extradition and horribly complex sanity hearing and trial and controversial sentencing. Then the appeals and death watch and lethal injection. Bruce Green's aunt handing out poorly reproduced W. Miller tracks to the crowd outside the Ohio prison as the clock ticked down to injection, little Bruce in tow, blank-faced and watching. The crowd of media and anti-capital activists and defarge-like picnickers milling and roiling, many t-shirts for sale, and the red-faced men in sport coats and fezzes. Oh, their rage-twisted faces, the same red as their fezzes, as the men... (laughs) careened this way and that in their little cars 
formations of motorized Shriners buzzing the gates of the ODC Maximum Facility and shouting, burn, baby, burn. Or the more timely, get lethally injected, baby, get lethally injected. Bruce Green's aunt with her center-parted hair visibly graying under the pillbox hat and face obscured for three Ohio months behind the black mesh veil that fluttered from the pillbox hat, clutching little Bruce's head to her underwired bosom day after day until his blank face was smushed in on one side. Green's guilt, pain, fear, and self-loathing have, over years of unprescribed medication, been compressed to the igneous point where he now knows only that he compulsively avoids any product or service with n in its name, always checks a palm before a handshake, will go blocks out of his way to avoid any parade involving fezes and little cars, and has the silent, substratified fascination slash horror gestalt about all things even remotely Polynesian. It's probably the distant and attenuated lua music echoing erratically back and forth through angled blocks of Alston cement that causes Bruce Green to wander as if mesmerized out of Union Square and all the way up Com Ave into Brighton and up to like the corner of Com Ave and Brainerd Road, the home of the unexamined life nightclub with its tilted flickering bottle of blue neon over the entrance before he realizes that Lenz is no longer beside him asking the time, that Lenz hadn't followed him up the hill even though Green had stood there outside the Union Square alley way longer than anybody could have needed to take a legitimate whiz. Mm Mm-hmm. He and Lenz have become separated, he realizes. Now way southwest of Union on Com, Green looks around at traffic and tea tracks and bar patrons and TUL's huge bottle's low neon flutter. He wonders whether he'd somehow blown Lenz off or whether Lenz has blown him off, and that's all he wonders. That's the total complexity the speculation assumes. That's uh, his thought for the minute. It's like the whole nut can and cigar traumas drained into some psychic <laughs> sump at puberty sank and left only an oily slick that catches the light in distorted ways. The warbly Polynesian music's way clearer up here. I'm just looking over at the book and seeing that we've got two no solid pa- pa- pages of par- no paragraph yeah. breaks. Uh, the warbly Polynesian music's way clearer up here. He starts up the steep hill on Brainerd Road, which terminates at the Enfield line. Maybe Lens can't move straightforwardly south at all past a certain time. <laughs> the acclivity is not kind to asphalt spreader's boots. After the initial crazed gerbil in brain phase of early withdrawal and detox, Bruce Green has now returned to his normal psycho-repressed cerebral state where he has just about one fully developed thought every 60 seconds and then just one at a time, a thought, each materializing already fully developed and sitting there and then melting back away like a languid liquid crystal display. His Ennett House counselor, the extremely tough-loving Calvin T., complains that listening to Green is like listening to a faucet with a very slow drip. (laughs) His rap is that Green seems not serene or detached, but totally shut down, disassociated. And Calvin T. tries weakly to draw Green out by pissing him off. Green's next full thought is the realization that even though the hideous Hawaiian music had sounded like it was drifting up northward from down at the Alston Spur, it's somewhat louder now the further west he moves towards Enfield Cambridge Street, uh, Enfield's Cambridge Street dogleg, and St. Elizabeth's Hospital. No, I, 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 keep, keep going. Brainerd between... I, I feel like I have a good, very good <laughs> feel for the geography of this intersection yeah. now. <laughs> Brainerd between Commonwealth and Cambridge Street is a sine wave of lung-busting hills through neighborhoods Tiny Ewell described as depressed residential, 
unending rows of crammed together triple decker houses with those sad, uh, tiny sad architectural differences that seem to highlight the essential sameness. The sagging porches and psoriatic paint jobs or aluminum siding gone carbuncular from violent temperature swings. <laughs> Yard litter and dishes and patchy grass and fenced pets and children's toys lying around in discarded attitudes and eclectic food smells and wildly different patterned curtains or blinds in a house's different windows due to the old, those old houses are carved up inside into apartments for like alienated BU students or Canadian and concavity displaced families or even more alienated BC students. <laughs> <laughs> or probably it looks like the bulk of the leaseholders are green and bonk-esque, younger, blue-collar, hard-partying types that have posters of the fiends in human shape, or choosy mothers, or snout, or the bioavailable five. <laughs> the bioavailable five. Which takes us to EndNote 241. Popular corporate hard rock bands, though it shows where Bruce Green's psychic decline really started that except for TBA uh, TBA 5. These bands were all truly big two or three years past and are now slightly passe, with choosy mothers having split up entirely by now to explore individual creative directions. <laughs> Back to the text. Uh, in the bathroom and black lights in the bedroom and oil change stains in the driveway and that throw their supper dishes into the yard and buy new dishes at Caldor instead of washing their dishes. And that still, in their 20s, ingest substances nightly and use party as a verb and put their sound system speakers in their apartment's windows facing out and crank the volume out of sheer high spirit obnoxiousness because they still have their girlfriends to pound beers with and do shotguns of dope into the mouth of and do lines of bing off various parts of the naked body of and still find pounding beers and doing bongs and lines fun and get to have fun on a nightly after work basis cranking the tunes out into the neighborhood air. The street's bare trees are densely limbed. They're a certain type of tree. They look like inverted brooms in the residential dark. Green doesn't know his tree names. <laughs> the Hawaiian music is what's pulled him southwest, it emerges. Uh, it's, or it's originating from someplace in this very neighborhood, somewhere around West Brainerd, and Green moves upriver toward what sounds like the source of the sound with a blankly horrified fascination. Most of the yards are fenced in stainless steel chain-link fencing, and occasional yard dogs whine or, more commonly, bark and snarl and leap territorially at green from behind their fences. The fences shivering from the impact and the chain-link stuff dented outward from previous impacts from previous passers-by. The thought that he isn't scared of dogs develops and recedes in green's midbrain. His jacket creaks with every step. The temperature is steadily dropping. The fenced front yards are the toy and beer can strewn type where the brown grass grows in uneven tufts and the leaves haven't been raked and are piled in windblown lines of force along the base of the fence and unpruned hedges and overfull wastebaskets and untwisted trash bags are on the sagging porch because nobody's gotten around to taking them down to the EWD dumpster at the corner and garbage from the overfull receptacles blows out into the yard and mixes with the leaves along the fence's base and some gets out into the street and is never picked up and eventually becomes part of the composition of the street. <laughs> a non-peanut M&M box is like intaglioed into the concrete of the sidewalk under green, so bleached by the elements it's turned bone white and is only barely identifiable as a non-peanut M&M box, for instance. And looking up from identifying the M&M boxes make, green now espies Randy Lenz. Green has happened upon Lenz, way up here on Brainerd, now strolling briskly alone up ahead of green, not close, but visible under a functioning streetlight about a block farther uphill on Brainerd. There's some disincentive to call out. The incline on this block isn't bad. 
It's cold enough now so his breath looks the same whether he's smoking or not. <laughs> Did you ever pretend to smoke a cigarette when with you were your, a kid yeah, and blow with your cold yeah. air breath? Yes, of course. Or even better, do you ever have candy cigarettes and do it with a candy cigarette? Uh, no, I don't think I ever had candy cigarettes candy cigarettes i assume they discontinued them shortly For, uh, glamorizing cigarettes yeah um in this in the same way that remember that um pouch of bubble Big gum chew. Big chew oh man i think candy still that exists. imitated tobacco products were we ever so young well that big league chew was also in the realm of um what was it uh bubble tape the, oh, bubble tape! Six feet of uh, yeah. Six feet. Where of, the uh, the real novelty of it was, uh, you can have you can put as much gum in your mouth as you can fit. Oh God, I definitely <laughs> I definitely think there was one time where experimentally I was like, let me take a bite out of this bubble tape. Like, yeah. let me not unspool it. Let me like get it. <laughs> let me get at it from it like the side. <laughs> hey, I had to get my rocks off some way. Yeah. Uh, the also ju- just the um the notion that I, I I will never forget when I came to realize that baseball players performatively chewing gum was a statement against chewing tobacco uh-huh. like there were certain baseball players who were like nah man I, I don't do dip like that yeah, shit's yeah. nasty I'm like I got kids looking up to me I chew bubble gum man <laughs> anyway. you gotta do something in the in the uh the it's baseball out. it takes nine hours yes. what are you gonna do uh and of course they are all they're all rolling on mdma during the entire uh, baseball game <laughs> uh there should be sports on drugs. Sports on drugs would be very funny. All right. Sorry. So many distractions. Oh, the tall curved street lamps here look to green, just like the weaponish part of the Martian vessels that fired fatal rays in their conquest of the planet in an ancient cartridge Tommy Ducey never tired of that he labeled the case War of the Wells. <laughs> the Hawaiian music dominates the oral landscape by this point now, coming from someplace up near where he sees the back of Lenz's coat. Someone has put Polynesian music speakers in their window pretty clearly. Creepy slack-keyed steel guitar balloons across a dim street booms off the sagging facades opposite. It's Don Ho and the soul hoopy players, the grass skirt and foamy breaker sound that makes Green put his fingers in his ears while at the same time he moves more urgently toward the Hawaiian music source. A pink or aqua three-decker with a second-floor dormer and red-shingled roof with a blue and white Canucker flag on a pole protruding from a window in the dormer and serious JBL speakers facing outward in the two windows on either side of the flag, with the screens off so you can see the woofers throbbing like brown bellies hulaing, bathing the 1700 block of West Brainerd in dreadful ukuleles and hollow log percussives. Uh, all the blunt fingers in his ears do is add the squeak of Green's pulse and the underwater sound of his respiration to the music, though. Figures in plaid flannel or else floral Hawaiian shirts and those flower necklaces melt in and out of lit view behind and over the window speakers with the oozing quality of large group chemical fun and dancing and social intercoursing. How are we doing on time? Uh, we're probably getting it pretty up there. Yeah, we're at 30, 50. I mean, how long until a, a, a paragraph break? I'm just, uh, I'm trying to, um, I'm just trying to see if there's a, okay. I'm, I'm just trying to see if something happens. <laughs> let me let me let me try to get through the, these two pages. Let's do two more pages. Let's wait. Let's see what's on the. Okay, it's three pages until a paragraph break. Lord Almighty! Should we sprint to it? Let's let's see what we can do. But, All right, let's do it. Uh, you can engage the kill switch at any time. The lit windows make slender rectangles of light out across the yard, which the yard is a sty. 
Something about Randy Lenz's movements up ahead, the high-kneed, tiptoed skulk of a vaudeville fiend up to no good at all, <laughs> keeps Green from calling out to him, even if he could have made himself heard, over what to him is a roar of blood and breath and hoe. <laughs> Lenz moves through the one operative streetlight's cone across the sidewalk and over to the stainless chain link of the same Canucker house, holding something out to a Shetland-sized dog whose leash is attached to a fluorescent plastic clothesline thing by a pulley and can slide. It's cold, and the air is thin and keen, and his fingers are icy in his ears, which ache with cold. Green watches, wrapped on levels he doesn't, he doesn't know he has, uh, drawn slowly forward, moving his head from side to side to keep from losing lens in the fog of his breath, not calling out, but transfixed. Green and Mildred Bonk and the other couple they'd shared a trailer with, T. Deucey with, or they'd, shared a, they'd shared a trailer with T. Deucey with, had gone through a phase one time where they'd crash various collegiate parties and mix with the upper-scale collegiates, and once in one February, Green found himself at a Harvard U dorm where they were having a, like, beach-themed party with a dump truck's worth of sand on the common room floor and everybody with flower necklaces and skin bronzed with cream or UV booth salon visits, all the toe-headed guys in floral untucked shirts walking around with lock-jawed noblesse oblige, noblesse oblige, and drinking drinks with umbrellas in them or else wearing Speedos with no shirts and not one fucking pimple any place on their back and pretending to surf on a surfboard somebody had nailed to a hump-shaped wave made of blue and white paper mache with a motor inside that made the fake wave sort of undulate and all the girls in grass skirts oozing around the room trying to hula in a shimmying way that showed their thighs lipovac scars through the shimmying grass of their skirts and Mildred Bonk had donned a grass skirt and bikini top out of the pile by the keggers and even though almost seven months pregnant, had oozed and shimmied right into the mainstream of the swing of things. But Bruce Green had felt awkward and out of place in his cheap leather jacket and haircut he'd dyed orange with gasoline in a blackout, <laughs> and the eat-the-rich patch he'd perversely let Mildred Bonk sew onto the groin of his police pants. And then they finally got tired oh, of man, the Hawaii... eat-the-rich ri- patch. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I know. And then they finally got tired of the Hawaii Five O theme and started in with the Don Ho and Soul Hoopy CDs, and Green had gotten so uncomfortably fascinated and repelled and paralyzed by the Polynesian tunes that he'd set up a cabana chair right by the kegs and had sat there overworking the pump on the kegs and downing one plastic cup after another of beer foam until he got so blind drunk his sphincter had failed and he not only pissed but also actually shit his pants for only the second time ever oh and the first public time ever and was mortified with complexly layered shame and had to ease very gingerly into the nearest by head and remove his pants and wipe himself off like a fucking baby, having to shut one eye to make sure which him he saw was him. And then there'd been nothing to do with the fouled police pants but crack the bathroom door and reach a tattooed arm out with the pants and bury them in the living room sand like a house cat's litter box. And of course, what was he supposed to put on if he ever wanted to leave that head or dorm again to get home? So he'd had to hold one eye shut and reach one arm out again and like strain to reach the pile of grass skirts and bikini tops and snatch a grass skirt and put it on and slip out of the Hawaiian dorm at a side door without letting anybody see him and then ride the red line and see Greeny and then a bus all the way home in February in a cheap leather jacket and asphalt spreader's boots and a grass skirt, the grass of which rode up in the most horrifying way. And he'd spent the next three days not leaving the trailer in the spur in a paralyzing depression of unknown e- uh, etiology, lying on Tommy D's crusty stained sofa and drinking something, some, something, <laughs> Southern Comfort straight out of the bottle and watching Deucey's snakes not move once in three days in their tank. 
and Mildred had given him two days of high-volume shit for first sulking antisocially by the keg and then screwing out and abandoning her at seven months gone to a sandy room full of tandy, anomic blondes who said catty things about her tattoos and creepy boys who talked without moving, moving their lower jaw <laughs> and asked her things like where she summered and kept <laughs> offering her advice on no-load funds and inviting her upstairs to check out their juror prints and saying they found overweight girls <laughs> and saying they found overweight girls terribly compelling in their defiance of cultural cultural acetic norms. Oh God, and no gr- wonder Bruce has a, a weird aversion to pol- Polynesian music. It's not a good time. Yeah, he's got a lot of signifiers on this. And Bruce Green lay there with a head full of hoopy and unresolved pain and didn't say a word or even have a fully developed thought for three days and had hidden the grass skirt under the dust ruffle of the couch and later savagely tore it to shreds and sprinkled the clippings over Ducey's hydroponic marijuana development in the tub for mulch. <laughs> Lens goes in and out of Green's focus several times within a dozen undante strides, still out in front of the Canadian refugee-type house that's drawn Green on, Lens holding a little can of something up over one side of the fence's gate and dribbling something onto the gate, holding something else that suddenly engages the dog's full attention. For some reason, Green thinks to check his watch. The pink or orange clothesline quivers as the leash's pulley runs along it as the dog comes up to meet Lens inside the gate he's slowly opened. The huge dog seems neither friendly nor unfriendly toward Lens, but his attention is engaged. The leash and pulley could never hold him if he decided Lens was food. There's bitter-smelling material from his ear on Green's finger, which he can't help but sniff. He's forgotten and left the other finger in his ear. He's now pretty close, standing in a van shadow just outside the pyramid of sodium light from the street light, like two houses down from the source of the grisly sound, when all of a sudden, in the silence between uh, cuts, uh, when all of a sudden is, in the silence between cuts of Ho's early Don Ho from Hawaii with all my love, so that Green can hear baritone Canadianese party voices through the open windows, and also the low lilations of baby talk of some sort from Lens, pooty ooty doggy woggy and whatnot, presumably directed at the dog who's coming over to lens in a sort of neutrally cautious but attentive way. Should we leave off there? I guess. Or do you want something to happen? Uh, yeah, let's leave off there. I yeah. mean, I imagine, I can imagine what's going to happen. It's going to, yeah. I mean, you know what has happened before yes. with uh, lens and dogs. But now, but now, but now he's, he's, he's messing with, with Canadians. Yes. What kind of person do you think displays a Canadian flag in their front yard? A proud... <laughs> or a, a, a Quebecois flag. Yeah, he, a proud... He, he was uh, referring to it as a Canucker. Yeah. But I don't think it's a Canucker flag. I think it's a Quebecois flag. I showed you that that Quebecois flag the other day, right? The, with the trapper guy in the middle? Yes. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, man, uh... He he does know how to weave a sympathetic story for a uh, for a guy, right? For Bruce Green, yeah. I'd for, I'd completely forgotten his uh his, his backstory. His backstory. Uh, with the, uh, sh- shitting your pants at a Harvard party that yeah. would be an improvement. <laughs> um, he he and Mildred Bonk are together. No, she they that was the chick who. If to re- recall her backstory, she was she's way too hot to have the name Mildred Bonk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She should look like a Kimberly or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, or a, a Stacy. Yes, and I they remember get together, her there that she was like the prettiest girl in her high school. But and then, she goes like, from pretty to like a, a alternative punker type, and yeah. then they get together, 
and then they she gets pregnant and then they're living in a trailer with Tommy Ducey and his, his snakes. snakes. I, yes, I remember that. Um, and then she leaves him for some guy who says that he has a farm in New Jersey and he takes little little bonk. Mm-hmm. She takes little bonk with her. And uh, that, I believe, precipitates the final bender that gets uh, Bruce Green, Green into rehab. Okay. Yeah. I guess not rehab. None of these people go to rehab. They all go to detox and then halfway house. Yes. Uh, uh, was court ordered detox in a halfway house. The, right? I think like the more uh, white collar guys in and at house maybe go to uh, uh, nicer rehabs, but you know, when you think about it, th- this is just a total aside. But mm-hmm. the concept of like a celebrity rehab is kind of wild, right? Yeah. At least like the rehab that was popularized in pop culture of like a really nice, you know, like a nice Malibu. Like what is that place called? Promises. Like, promises. Yes. Betty Ford, the Betty Ford Center. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like you. You part of doing rehab is that you would have to uh, abandon your celebrity. You know. Yeah, like you have to like. I I, I agree. I I mean, listen. I don't know fucking shit about rehabs, Look, but I know that there's a lot of nor, them. That nor do I know about work. celebrity. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that seems like part of the necessary humility of it is being like, it's I, not a fucking I, spa day. I can't have special treatment. Yeah. I you are just be. like everyone else. Yes. But I mean, to like but also toilets and shit, you know, but also that seems to very much be the um, ethos of specifically AA style recovery of being like, you must admit that you are, you are, you are worm. Yeah. That you are. Yeah. You're no, you're no better than uh, yeah. all of these people. Yes. Well, I mean, I, th- I, I think that that's part of the uh, the higher power thing is is as much admitting that there is a higher power uh, admitting to yourself that you are a lower power. Yeah, that you are just a human being yes. and human beings are extremely fallible. Of course, we recall from our cross uh, cross podcast reference, which I think some people listen to apparently listen to this podcast who uh, listen to this first and not in introducing. But we have we have a podcast called and introducing where we uh, podcast about. Uh, music writing yes. and Jeff Tweedy of Wilco had an amazing memoir and I'm not sure how the decision got made but he had a pill problem and when he went to rehab he went to like a state or like a state sponsored rehab mm-hmm. and he felt very insecure being there with people who were poor mm-hmm. uh, you know not white um, with harder lives than he had to, like, to be clear not not like like ooh look at these poor people but being like oh I have it so well and these people have it yeah, he's like much embarrassed. More time, like uh, my, you know, feeling my I'm problems rock- are, are, you know, I'm an indie ever. rock star. Like I, yeah. I have like a comfortable life. But then he basically shared as much in a group, and uh, he said an- another guy was like, pain, like pain is pain. Like yeah, I, I feel pain. You feel pain. I'm not. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with uh, what your circumstances are. Yeah, which I agree with. Yeah, I guess because like the thing about us, the quote unquote celebrity rehab is that it maintains at some level, no matter how much you mean it and how, no matter how much you want it to stick, if you're going to a place like that, uh, it, um, maintains a, uh, facade or it prevents a, a humility, you know? Yeah. Because you, you, at some level you're like, no, I am better than other people. And you're paying for, it's like the private school of, uh, of, uh, rehab. Like you're paying for a better experience and like, you're you're doing your meetings, but you're also like doing yoga and yeah. like you know going to the sauna. Doctor Phil whatever. is there. Listen, if anyone was listening to this and had a I don't know went to a cushy rehab and it worked as long as it as long as it works it yeah, works if yeah, you yeah. work it. It, it works, works if, if you work, work it. it. But it seems like you know going to a cushy rehab would incentivize you to work it less because yes. 
the also the idea if you go to a spa like rehab is like no 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 this is something that will be done to me yeah uh, like you're like like I'm gonna just go in and get beat by get the the addiction beat out of me with those palm fronds like when you go to the <laughs> Russian and Turkish baths yeah yeah it'll yeah it's also not not a reality I guess maybe it's a reality for celebrities but it's not a reality that you can then enter the world in and, yeah. and necessarily feel equipped to deal with like the the temptations of uh of your pri- your prior life. Um, anyway, I feel very bad that uh, Bru- imagine being a kid and your father gets the death penalty. Imagine being a kid and your father accidentally pranks your mom to death. Pranks your mom to death and then purposely pl- pranks some people to yeah. death. And he was an aerobics instructor. The image of the snake left in the chandelier in the slowly rotting Christmas tree and stakes under it christmas stakes uh uh, bloating in their package yeah it's very very haunting yeah it is it is quite haunting uh poor 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 bruce green uh wallace really doesn't uh hasn't hasn't seen a childhood he doesn't think is traumatic well, childhood is hard. It is. Even when it's good, it still kind of sucks. Well, being a child is is traumatic. Being a child is no, well, that's, no fun. And that's at one all. of those things that's like that that irks me about uh, you know, the the form of media analysis of being like it, blank and blank is actually about trauma mm-hmm. is like certainly some people uh, people different people have different levels of trauma, but yes, it is a, a being alive is trauma. We've done this riff yeah, before. Yeah, uh, pro- probably. Well, it's just like being a kid, you know, the, yeah, it's you, the John Mulaney joke. It's like, well, I'm very, I'm very small and I don't have any money. So you can imagine how stressful uh, yes. that situation is. You, you can't make your own decisions. Everything is, uh, co- is both extremely complicated and you have no mental grasp of it. But There's also, no context. There's no fucking context. But also in your mind, everything is very simple and you don't understand why things can't be easy. Yeah. Why can't I eat more ice cream? Yeah. Why can't I watch more TV? Yeah. Because then, I mean, the the joke of child I'm sure this has been said a million times before, but the joke of childhood is that you grow up and you can eat cookie dough. Yeah. You can eat a whole pint of ice cream or order a gigantic banana you, sundae. You, you can, can eat candy w- for lunch as an adult. You can, you can watch, eat candy for lunch. You can watch cartoons for 30 hours straight and if you want to. And some people do. But so what? It, like, yeah, what's not the, a great idea. It's not a good idea, and you know that that there is a reason to to, to tell people to to moderate this stuff. But oh, it's so annoying. It is it's so annoying. hard, and there's no recourse. Yes, and you have to, and and then you worse, have to what deal you, with somebody saying because I said so. Because I said so, and you're like that fucking sucks. That isn't fair, and you, you just have to learn to deal with with it being like. And then you get a little older, and then it's like not in my house, not my, in house my house, my rules, which yeah. is somehow worse. Yeah. Uh. I when I was a kid, um, there's a apocryphal story. I think I must have been four, uh, four-ish, five-ish. Um, uh-huh. My mom bakes incredible chocolate chip cookies. It's just the Toll House recipe. Oh, it's a good recipe. Uh, but it's, it's a, on it's, the it's on the canister. But it's the not just the Toll House recipe. It's cookies baked by mom. It's cookies baked by mom. But she cookies would always she would bake them and then she would lay them out to cool on squares of uh, uh, paper towels in the kitchen and. Uh, you could you could count on at least one fresh baked cookie uh, after she made them. She often froze them um, mm-hmm. and she would use them for different things. But uh, a great resource in my house was the uh, uh, Toll, Toll House cookies baked by mom. But one night she baked them. And for whatever reason, I was like, they were, they were popping out of the oven. We were watching TV in the living room or the family room. And I was like, can I have a cookie? And she was like, no. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> I really want one. <laughs> and the kitchen was uh, adjacent to the family room. And it was separated by a door 
with a glass panel in it uh, so you could see through. It was like, I think it had been added to the house afterwards. My house was, my childhood house was in shambles. Uh, but there was like a wooden door with a glass window in it sure. so you could yes. clearly see. Yes. And my logic was like, I'm going to go, get up and go to the bathroom. And I, what I actually did was I went up and I closed the kitchen door, which by the way, the kitchen door was never closed. Uh -huh. So that was the first tip off that I was doing something shady. Uh -huh. Closed the door, had I think two cookies because I was like, why, while why I'm here, why not? Uh, went at a, a time that I thought was maybe appropriate for going to the bathroom. Uh, came back, opened the door, <laughs> and re-entered the <laughs> family room with chocolate all over my face. And normally that would have probably been something that would have gotten me in trouble. But apparently I, it was so, it was uh, so cute obvious. and funny that I got a pass. Um, but I, I did get a, you know, don't don't pull the shit again. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't but eat the cookies without permission. Why, why, why can't I just have a cookie? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it tastes so good. They're hot and fresh out of the oven. They're getting colder with every minute. Well, I mean, you... It, for your mom, you can't expect to already, bake cookies and not give your daughters one fresh hot cookie. Yeah. I don't know why she was, maybe she needed a certain number of them or Probably, like maybe yeah. it's possible we had already had dessert after dinner. So mm -hmm. it was like. You can't bake fresh hot cookies and not give your children one fresh hot cookie. My mom had four children to rear and if she needed, it was the time that worked to make the cookies. It was the time that worked to make the cookies. Yeah. It was torturous though. Anyway, being a child, is that that's trauma actually. <laughs> So, I'm just kidding. So I'm kidding. Lens is going to murder this dog mm -hmm. and Green's going to see him mm -hmm. and presumably these Canadians blasting uh, Hawaiian music are going to witness him and he's going to get in trouble, thus closing the loop between Edit House and the Canadian plot. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. Thing, things are about to, uh, to pop off. Things are about to pop off. Uh, it's going to take a couple more episodes to get there, but... Uh, I mean, you've been saying that for like seven episodes. I know. Well, we missed a couple We missed a couple of weeks and then... Uh, I mean, we've I, been we reading one, one paragraph for 25 minutes. We haven't... I feel like we've been in the 500 block of pages for quite some time, but 587, we're close oh, to 600. Wow. Fucking A. Awesome. All right. Any any other... No, I got to go to Austin. Okay. Let's get your let's get your ass to Texas. Let's order some bagels and I gotta go to Texas. All, All right, right, bye everybody. Bye.